Welcome to episode number two of the College Sports by College Guys podcast. I'm Clayton Edwards, and I'm super excited for episode two and hope you enjoyed episode one. If you have listened to it, if you haven't, go back and check that one out. Today should be a little shorter episode as uh, we're going to get into some uh, games we're looking forward to this year and also some uh, of the Heisman hopefuls and our Heisman predictions. But uh, without any further ado, I'd like to welcome the guest, our guest for episode number two, Isaac Carlson, my good friend. Isaac, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Clayton. It's honestly really fun to be on here with you, and I'm really excited for this podcast. Perfect, man. So let's honestly just jump right into it. Um, games this, we're looking forward to this year. We had a big list of games. Those primetime slates, the Alabama-USC, you know, we had Texas LSU, and I mean, there was a countless number of games, you know, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Auburn, North Carolina, there's the list goes on of games that are not happening now because of COVID, um, which is honestly a shame because this is us as college football fans we were looking forward to so much, but I'm going to give you the the first first question here. What games stick out to you? First off, you just give me one game that you're looking forward to first, and I'll go ahead and give one of mine. But yeah, go ahead. Well, to start off, this isn't really a a big game in terms of implications for a playoff spot or a conference championship, but I think just a giant game in America, honestly, is the Army-Navy game played the first week in December every year. It's been in Philly consistently, and... The atmosphere around this game is something that I think everyone should experience, and as college football fans, we should be really excited for. I mean, Army coming in, they had won three in a row until in 2019, Navy won in resounding fashion, 31-7, to and it was a cold, snowy day, great atmosphere, the president was there, flyovers, excitement, the cadets singing their alma maters, that's just something that... I think we can all get excited for, especially when there aren't any other games going on. And it's not it's not the flashiest game, I'll be honest, Clayton. Um, there are four total completions by both teams in 2019. Definitely a run-heavy game, 25 total passing yards, but the atmosphere, the environment, I think it's just something that we should all get excited for every year. Yeah, and we talk about the academy offenses running the triple option. Um, Georgia Tech kind of was the other school that would lean towards that offense, but they're kind of going away with that with the new coach. But, um, yeah, Army-Navy such a historic game and something that, like, even me or, or yeah, myself, like, not, not with no real – implications or anything weighing on that game it's still fun to watch because it is college football it means so much to both sides and I mean uh Navy being in the Amer- in the American Conference we it's, we don't know for sure if this game's going to happen but obviously we we want it to um but I think that you bring up a good point with that game um my first game as I talked about UCF in the last episode how I don't know if they belonged in the top 25 um my first matchup is going to be UCF versus Memphis. This game not for the American title, I don't think. I think Cincinnati has the American locked up. But this game, UCF-Memphis, is going to be to determine who plays Cincinnati for that American conference title. Um, you know, Memphis loses their coach, uh, Mike Norvell, a great coach to Florida State. He goes to Florida State this year, gets that job. Silverfield, they promoted him to the head coach. But we can't say enough about Brady White 
Um, their quarterback just – I mean, the dude's a good talent, extremely underrated. But we saw Memphis team go into the Cotton Bowl this year and compete. And, I mean, it's fun to watch. And UCF's going to come out ready to play as they always do. But I think this is going to be a tremendous um, – I'm trying to think what the word is. It's going to determine who's in that American Championship game to play Cincinnati. And honestly, these two teams are the only teams I'm worried about giving Cincinnati a run for their money. But that's what we're having to do here is we're having to stick to these conferences because that's pretty much what we can say. That It's going to be pretty much conference play this whole year. You know, the Big 12 allowing the one non-conference game, but we don't know how much of a factor those games are going to be in playoffs or in playoff rankings or anything like that. But um, Isaac, I don't know if you have your second game ready. Um that you want to get into but yeah just going back to your point about memphis i i'm excited about smaller schools and i think that if those smaller schools can play good football then as we see we see the ucfs and the memphises that they go into bowl games against bigger fbs division one schools and they make some noise and i think that's really exciting and i would love to see a lot more of that i mean it was fun to watch two struggling power um, teams like Michigan and Alabama play last year. And it's always fun to watch the Rose Bowl, but I definitely like to see some smaller schools coming in and definitely making a name for themselves throughout the regular season. Or it starts in the bowl season where they lay the foundation and then get people's attention. And we start watching, we start watching those lower division schools. And I think we need to broaden college football from a fan's perspective and from coverage just throughout all of FBS, even into the lower divisions, because I think there's some really exciting football being played and some talent that goes unnoticed. Yeah, and I, like we said, UCF playing in big bowl games like the Peach Bowl against Auburn uh, and getting the win, you know, like that's a that's a career. I'm trying to think of the, uh, they're trying to build that, culture around there that's a culture building win or culture defining win a UCF marching into uh Atlanta and beating an Auburn or a Memphis going to the Cotton Bowl and I think they played Penn State last year was that right in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas yeah I believe um uh Memphis Memphis played Penn State but this besides the point you're so right that and as I mentioned in the last podcast is we're going to have to see these American teams like the Cincinnati's, the UCF, the Memphis um, play um, the bigger schools. I mean, yeah, Memphis did play Penn State and um, lost by 14, but that's competing, you know. Penn State, a Big Ten champ in the running for the Big Ten championship every year, and for Memphis, a team out of the American to come and compete with them and only lose by 14 at Jerry World. That's what we're looking for to continue to happen and, and close the gap of the bigger conferences to these smaller conferences. I mean, I think that something that was really telling out of Memphis is that they were 12-2 and two last year. Right. And while, yes, their conference or their regular season schedule was very weak, and they did – you can see – I'm looking at it right now. They did struggle in some big games um, going through – they did have some good wins in terms of who they are, but if you want to be a contender at the top 25 level, 
you can't be only beating an unranked Tulsa by one. Um, they did. They beat twenty one Cincinnati. They beat um, twenty one ranked Cincinnati in the last game of the season, and then they played good. And they games. played them twice uh-huh, in a regular did. season and in the conference championship. Mm-hmm. They beat them twice. Uh, they did beat twenty third ranked Navy. Which, Navy, Navy, a twelve and two team last yeah. year. Also, that's something that I really like to look at. Is I don't think we give enough credit to teams that beat those military academies because from a from a perspective of those guys aren't they don't watch film all the time they're not looking to be competitive football is their second job where i feel that during the fall that most athletes that play division one football their first job is football and the military academies have a different style a different type of play that is hard to beat we saw Oklahoma struggle at home versus Army we see constantly teams that that just plain flat out don't show up to play or struggle against a good team or a team that is good but should be beaten easily by a bigger school yeah we see these academy teams continually give the big time talent scares you know I I can't remember if it was Army or Air Force marching into the big house and almost beating Michigan last year. I think it was Army, but that's what you want to see. And that's what sometimes I don't think they get enough credit for. Um, and, you know, it's it's these matchups, I think, when you're going to – you have to count more towards the playoff is, yeah, as Army goes in and only loses by three. I mean, and one, one of the hardest places to play in college football. So, but – this is what I, we're seeing is the gap is closing, you know. It's not always a gimme game when you're playing an, a team in the American or a non-conference army. or You know, it's it's something that makes college football more exciting for us as fans, but also makes the competition better and, and brings more meaning to these games for the big-time schools. With that being said, though, I still don't want to see those powerhouse SEC schools playing just – not not competitive games in the middle of their season. Like I don't ever want to see Alabama playing the Citadel. Like we, that's not good for college football. In week eight or whatever it is, is to have to be forced to watch that game. And and from the Citadels or any of those small school standpoint, what do you gain besides a little TV time of going and? letting a team like Alabama or LSU just run all over you for 60 minutes. Yeah, you get that nice check from Alabama is what those schools are fighting for. But I understand now the motivation for those guys playing an Alabama playing a Citadel is almost pointless because there's no help in the playoff rankings. If I'm in in the committee and I'm going to try to weigh an Alabama win or Alabama schedule, and I see the Citadel, and Citadel was what? They were tied with Bama at the half of that game. It's like all that does is hurt your rankings and hurt how you look. But with that with that being said, I mean, we're excited for some of these matchups. And honestly, um, you know, the non-conference, that those kind of games are going to kind of be taken away this year. I mean, you look at an o- Oklahoma State where we go, um, we're playing Tulsa this year. I mean, I'm not saying Tulsa's a terrible team, but we struggled last year against Tulsa. But I'll get I'll get later into or later into this podcast I'll get into how I feel about playing Tulsa. 
Yeah. So with that being said, let's get into some matchups. I mean, uh, if you have any other matchups, I'll say mine, and I know you can feed on this. Um, we're going to, I mean, stay here at Stillwater at home where we're going to play Texas. Oklahoma State, the 16th-ranked team, and Texas, the 14th-ranked team here in the first coaches poll released. I mean, this is a big matchup in Stillwater where Texas hasn't had a lot of success. And last year, Oklahoma State loses in Austin for the first time in six matchups in Austin. So Oklahoma State has kind of led this series as of late, but I feel like Texas is catching up a little bit. I mean, last time Texas came to Stillwater, probably the best game of the year, top three games of the year in college football that year. But a huge upset with Cornelius leading the Pokes. But um, this year's going to be a big matchup. Chuba, Spencer, and, and I'll let you talk a little bit more about the, the matchup last year and what you think Sam Ellinger can do this year. All right, well, um, so there's a lot to talk about in this and a lot to talk about from an Oklahoma State standpoint. Um, first off, I think Oklahoma State is absolutely plagued by slow starts they had three points in the first quarter last year against texas and that just really slow starts set the tone for a mediocre oklahoma state offense like we saw last year we last year we saw oklahoma state come out flying against um teams like baylor which they went on to lose but it was a very good game at home they went out and scored on their first possession against oklahoma and I think they scored on their first two and tied it at 14. I'm, um, but the point is that fast starts for Oklahoma State bring nothing but good things. And last year, that just did not happen against Texas. So some stats for you from the 2019 game in Austin between um, UT and OK State. Um, it's just not good from an Oklahoma State offense standpoint. Sanders, who the freshman, the redshirt freshman, came out. He was 19 of 32 with 268 yards. Um, he had two interceptions and no touchdowns. From which from, he did he did score on his feet, which helped. But um, I think you. I mean, Spencer as a freshman, this game was not his best game of the year. But I think this is where we saw his most the most growth from him as you further get into this I'll give it back to you but mm-hmm. I mean that's um he is young I'm not taking anything away from his talent but these are the big time games where you go out and make a name for yourself and I feel like he did do some good things he 18 carries for 109 yards on the ground from a quarterback that's incredible um in an environment like Texas in a game being young but I think those the passing stats are where we slow him down, where he, what brings him from a good quarterback in the Big 12. And honestly, to win the Big 12, you need a great quarterback now. They're like Brock Purdy, he's good, but he just couldn't get it done. I'm, I think big things are coming for Brock Purdy and Sam Ellinger. I think this year he's in for a good, a good season. He went last year in the Texas game or when they played Oklahoma State, he went 20 for 28, 281 yards, four touchdowns, only one interception, 70 rush yards. That's a stat line that any any team in the Big 12 or frankly across the country would love to see from their quarterback. He was mobile. He was throwing accurately. He wasn't forcing anything. Four touchdowns. What more can you ask for? That's just, and I don't know what else you'd want from a quarterback in Texas. Um, and that's what, 
you see the experience of Ellinger over an experience of guy like Spencer Sanders, where Sam Ellinger's played in the big game. You know, he's not wasn't pressured by that. But we look at that game prime time on ABC. Spencer Sanders, you know, was it? I mean, second? Uh, no, he had three roads, two road starts before that. But you're looking at first big Big Twelve road start on the road in Austin. I mean, prime time under the lights with a hundred thousand people and. I mean, I really think Spencer gave us what he had, but you know the the experience of Ellinger playing at home for Texas, the way he, the speed of those guys on the outside with Duvernay, Colin Johnson, like those guys are so talented. But this is where Oklahoma State can have a chance in this year's matchup, and why we like it so much is now Texas doesn't have the Colin Johnson, doesn't have the Duvernay. You know they're going to have to lean on guys like Jake Smith, the younger guys. You know, um, to really, to really take the charge this year, um, they're going to want to run on the ground. Ellinger's a strong rusher. We that's nothing new from a Texas quarterback. That goes all the way back to Colt could run it. Vince could run it. You know, guys like Gerard Hurd, Swoops, all those guys could run the football. But that's what we're looking forward to, and we haven't had really as from an Oklahoma State quarterback for a long time is that rushing threat. So this game's going to be exciting all the way around. But it starts on the offensive side of the ball and definitely with these two quarterbacks yeah and honestly for me that's just that's just the start um i do first off i do think this is the biggest game in the big 12 this year because um obviously the oklahoma baylor oklahoma texas oklahoma state oklahoma matchups are all going to be big but i think oklahoma state and texas are the two closest to each other and this game's just super important for both of them. Who's going to be the pretender and who's going to be the contender? And if you look last year, um, the team stats were virtually equal. Um, turnovers, two from Oklahoma State, three from Texas. Oklahoma State won the turnover battle. And they both finished the season off 8-5 and five and 5-4 five and four in the conference, which honestly is not a good look from either of the teams. But... That game that would get them to the six and three, if I did my math right, yes, um, I think I think that's super important. Um, a couple other points to note: Chuba Hubbard, outstanding year, but on thirty-seven carries to only come away with one hundred twenty-one yards. I thought that was not Chuba Hubbard's style of running. I thought he could have played better on offense. Um, Oklahoma State didn't have a receiver over 100 yards receiving, and the defense had zero sacks. And it goes back to slow starts, and that's another thing that haunts Oklahoma State. A first-half team almost is what we would say. Uh-huh. We're hot in the first half. We're nose-for-nose nose as we look in the Texas Bowl. Play-for-play, touchdown-for-touchdown, even taking the lead over A&M, and, but we just can't close. You know, And you could blame that on offensive production or defensive letting it up. You know? So I think you're right on that point is that we're, we're going to have to – play four quarters of football you know you don't win in two and that's what something that's going to have to develop this year for the pokes another thing that bothers me is um let me pull up oklahoma state's schedule real quick but yeah next we're going to get into some heisman uh some hopefuls and some things we think and and two guys that really i mean this game could help Sam Ellinger's cause it could help Spencer Sanders cause you know Spencer a little bit on the outside looking into that Heisman hopefuls but Chuba's 100% in the mix but Chuba started the year last year with three 200 yard games over 200 yard games and 
this is where he started to slow and then built it back up. But we're going to have to see that consistency. You know what I'm saying? For him to be that Heisman guy. But if you want to get back to your point. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma State versus Texas. Texas was Oklahoma State's fourth game of the year. And their first three were Oregon State, McNeese State, and Tulsa. Do those three games really prepare you to go into Austin and play a good football game? In my opinion, no. I'd rather see us come out and play stronger opponents and maybe sacrifice a loss if it means... I would sacrifice a loss to a good SEC school if it meant we could win out the Big 12 because we were better prepared. We were preparing harder in the off season. Honestly, it's hard. I don't know about the players personally. I'm sure their work ethic is second to none. That's why they're playing at Oklahoma State. But I just couldn't imagine getting excited to play a team like Tulsa or a team like McNeese State. Like I, I, don't, I just feel like their preparation, their mindset isn't the same. And then when you're only given a week or so, the beginning of school to prepare for Texas – I think that's what hurt us too. Yeah. And that's what this year is going to bring to the table with all these COVID effects as we talked in the last episode. It's going to be these guys are going to have to be ready to play conference play after one week. You know, Oklahoma State's got Tulsa. I'm not sure what the other Big 12 schools have released as their opponent yet, but it's going to be time as soon as that game's over. And it's real. Like this season is real. And I think why I like this matchup, the last point before we get into this Heisman stuff is – Texas versus Oklahoma State, or Texas and Oklahoma State, as well as Oklahoma, are the three guys in the running right now. You know, Oklahoma, it would not surprise me one bit for Oklahoma to go unbeaten. I said that in the last episode. As much as I don't want to say it here, they're the hardest team, and they're the best team in the Big 12. And it's going to be on that game for those guys to to figure that out. Whether it be OU wins outright, this game's going to be okay who's who's going to be in the big 12 championship now this game's going to determine that or we beat OU and we have to beat Texas or Texas beats OU and has to beat us so has to beat OSU so it's like there's so much lying on this game no matter the circumstances um because I think these are the three best teams in the in the big 12 but um one last point from you before we get into this Heisman yeah last thing um I think how long are we going to allow Oklahoma to rule the roost in the Big 12? We saw, we've seen year after year, especially last year, of Oklahoma State or Oklahoma dominating the Big 12 and then going and getting just absolutely demolished by teams in the college football playoff. Um, It's... It's just disappointing. Is this the best that the Big 12 has to offer? I don't believe so. I think while Oklahoma State, or Oklahoma, pardon me, keep making that mistake, while they are such an incredible team with a lot of talent, I just don't think that they're playing to the level that the Big 12 can play. I think the Big 12 is four teams deep of playing at that highest level of college football. I think Baylor, Texas, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and even a good Iowa State team are four, five very good football teams. And just if we allow that, I go back to the point pretender versus contender. 
It's going to come down to Oklahoma State and Texas. Which one's going to put their foot down, say, we're going to stick it to each other, and then we're going to stick it to OU, and we're going to tr- go try win the Big 12 and go on to play for a national title even. Yeah, and this is what it's, it's all going to start with some non-conference play at the start of the season. The Big 12 guys are going to have to start playing big-time SEC schools because we saw, I mean, OU march in and try to play LSU, and it was not even close. So if that's the level of separation, I mean, I think an OU, OU can beat half the teams in the SEC. Maybe not that many, but, I mean, I'll take my money on OU a lot of times against a certain number of schools, but we're just not seeing them play that the, the Floridas, the LSUs constantly. I mean, we saw them play LSU last year, but we're not seeing OU Alabama all the time. We're not seeing, you know, Oklahoma State. We saw Oklahoma State A&M last year, but it's like we we, we hung with those guys. So we want to see those different matchups, um, but it's going to take some preseason scheduling and some outlook scheduling that, I mean, obviously we know these games are determined 10 years out. So, I mean, it could be a long way in the making, but these these matchups are going to have to be done as OU tried to do with this home and home against Tennessee that they were going to play this year but got canceled. So I think they're understanding that this is a necessity in college football, but um, we're just not there yet all the way. But as we're trying not to get too long in this episode, I'm just going to do my two quick Heisman favorites here, and, and you can do it for me. I did one guy who's my favorite and one guy who's kind of my sleeper, the outside looking in guy. Um, so first, I mean, my favorite, and I think we both agree on this guy, Justin Fields, the Ohio State quarterback. The the dude, I mean, it's almost unfair. Incredible talent from an incredible team, and that's what a Heisman Trophy winner should be. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to, like, it's hard to sit back and be like, well, what do we have against this guy? I mean, we're looking on, on the CBS site here, and it says Fields has seven seven to two odds. I mean... That's he's the most favored guy. I mean, followed by a Lawrence, but I mean, I just Fields can play. He's the dual threat. He's cool under pressure. I mean, the I mean, obviously transferred out of Georgia, and we didn't know what he was going to be like last year for Ohio State, and he just proved the whole world that he was meant to be here. He's that Heisman guy, so he's he's my favorite this year, and you agree on that, I'm sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. The biggest thing that separates. Lawrence and Fields in my opinion is Fields is going to have those those Michigans those Penn States the those games where he has to go out and bring his team sometimes from behind and Clemson and Trevor Lawrence he's just not going to get that chance if you're playing North Carolina if you're playing Duke those teams you're just not gonna yeah you might throw up 400 yards and three or four touchdowns but you're not you're not going to have that Heisman moment I think every Heisman winner needs that Heisman moment and the argument can't be oh Trevor Lawrence plays good every game if you look at the competition in the ACC it's not anywhere near the other power five so I just think that Justin Fields he's gonna have his time to shine he's got the talent he's got the ability a great dual threat quarterback um justin fields is what college football needs to win the heisman because he's the definition of a solid college football quarterback he frankly is the best in college football right now yeah i agree and i mean obviously lawrence will have some competition a better north carolina team this year sam howell the dude can play mac can mac's gonna have those guys ready 
But are we weighing those guys over Penn State? I'm, I'm taking Penn State over North Carolina every day. Even I might take a Michigan over North Carolina. So we see Fields play in the big game. We're, Lawrence is going to have his challenges this year, you know, against a, a, a Notre Dame who's now going to play in the ACC this year, a North Carolina, you know. But we just don't know where, where these guys are at. Um, but I'll say my sleeper now, the guy who I don't know what really what to expect, um, but I'm excited for him. He is one of those guys with so much upside, but we're just waiting on him to really get the chance to shine. Um, and that's Jaden Daniels at Arizona State. You know, we saw them beat a tough Oregon team led by Justin Herbert. Um, I mean, we can't say enough about what Herm Edwards has done for that program. Completely flipped it around and now, um, not that this is a direct effect on Jaden Daniels, but Marvin Lewis, the former Bengals head coach for a long time, um, is now going to be the co-defensive coordinator. So the team's just going to be all around better with much better coaching and Daniels with more experience under his belt, a big win. You know, I just see him being a a outside-looking-in guy, but as this conference play is going to develop, he's going to play the Oregon, he's going to play USC, you know, just continue to build that resume up. And like you said about having a Heisman moment, he's going to have the ability to do that, you know. And he's just a guy I look forward to um, seeing this year and seeing what he's about. And uh, with after your sleeper, man, we'll finish it up. But you go ahead and give your sleeper Heisman pick. Well, I don't really have a sleeper, but I think we are missing a major point. As I'm looking at the... Uh, odds to win the Heisman, all I see are quarterbacks and running backs. You have to go all the way down to find any wide receivers. Where are the defensive players? If we're honestly going to call the Heisman the award that goes to the best college football player, and in my opinion, that is what does this player bring to their team that makes the team successful, then I think we have to start looking at defensive players. And we saw last year Chase Young, Chase Young just um, an absolute tank out of Ohio State. And he brought the heat. He gave quarterbacks in the Big Ten just a nightmare to deal with. Deal with. Um, where, he, and he was a guy who was, was in New York for the, for the ceremony, you know, against Burrow. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing, I think, like you say, we're seeing these guys get a little more credit which is deserved, but it's, you know, what I think is, is the voter, as a Heisman voter, if I was that, I would be looking, who's this? Who's the flashy guy? We want the flashy guy. We want the Burrow. We want the Baker Mayfield. We want the Kyler Murray. Um, and, and they're just, it's hard for them to see it defensive end and be like, this guy's going to be our flashy Heisman guy. I don't know what you think about that. but I think we just have to, well, as we know, TCU has an amazing secondary this year. Right. Two All-Americans. Two strong safeties. Two strong safeties. Um, Oklahoma State has a ton of defensive powers. Um, Bong Bamiga is a force to be reckoned with on that defensive line. We've got Trey Sterling and Colby Harvell-Peel that both had profound impacts in games last year. I think that Trey Sterling could have played very well at, against Oklahoma if he was not ejected early into yeah, that game a, a for rough, a rough a targeting call that questionable, I mean question, a, questionable. a questionable targeting call that took him out of the game but we're looking at a guy at Harvell Peel who was 
very close to the top of college football in turnovers and pit and picks passes deflected you know these guys can play and i understand what you're bringing up in this point is and what i would say is my judging point on this is who's having the most direct effect on the game who is changing the game you know whether it be a big play a small play you know whether that be defense or offense who is, who is taking over a game and who and who is absolutely changing the game with their play my thing my favorite Heisman ever was Manti Teo with Notre Dame how many years ago was that it's, it had to have been quite a while but he just he brought something to the game he had his Heisman moment when Notre Dame walked into Memorial Stadium in Norman and put it on OU for four quarters walked away with a big win I believe that was on Halloween night um that was his Heisman moment and I think they're just have to be I I would just like to see more defensive players but I have no problem if Justin Fields comes out has a tremendous season has that Heisman moment against honestly not the Michigan but the Penn State I just really hope that I just really hope that we can see some defensive players come out strong and or, or just be considered be, be considered yeah and it's growing it, it really is growing but um, I mean, it's a quarterback-run league. Football is a quarterback-run game. But, yeah, some change in the in the Heisman voting would be fun and, and seeing some different guys mix it up. But ultimately, they're going to have the three best guys up there. And we're hoping, we're hoping Chuba Hubbard gets up there this year being homers. But, I mean, I think Justin Fields is just the guy who's got to get it, you know, and um, and who's going to go get it, you know and have the opportunity to do that for himself but um well that about wraps up episode two thank you guys for tuning in we hope you enjoyed it isaac i want to say thank you for for coming on with me man oh absolutely thank you for having me yeah and and we'll have some more content out soon we're trying to get things out but i mean truly we're we're sitting here and watching college football change every day saying we're going to have a season we're not going to have a season but we're going to continue to bring um and share what we know and what we think and uh um yeah we're just super excited for this college football season whether we have one or not but uh that wraps up episode two thank you guys for tuning in and uh we'll be back soon thank you